Hello, everyone, and welcome to Karate Without Belts. I'm John. I'm Jeremy. Welcome, welcome, folks. And a, I guess our first full week into 2020. Jeremy, have you seen any weird future signs or signs of the future? No, um, unless you count the... Well, no, I guess not. It's just just people driving really stupid on the highway again. But, you know, I guess that happened last last decade, too. So, there anyway, we go. So. Until we get the flying cars. Yeah. Um, I guess we can talk about 2020 Olympics and karate going to it. But this is me doing a shoulder shrug that no one in our audience can see. I, you know, I, I think it's a good thing. It's a positive thing that karate was is now a part of the 2020 Olympics. But it's a step in the right direction, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I guess we'll see. So. It doesn't really go into a lot of what, what we're after. Um in terms of just training, of doing old school training, you see Jeremy looking looking back at the, looking back at his pictures of all the old guys, and they would not be maybe they would be happy that karate is in the Olympics, but maybe I I don't know. I mean, probably some of them would be. I mean, I mean, it is it's something to be proud of. So you know, hey, cool, cool. Now, Jeremy, what have you been working on this week? Just trying to keep my head above water that's about it so i mean it's just been a very very hectic week so between work family issues as far as training's going um um work with work with Cy a little bit this week just kind of get going on that along with some notch you showed on tomorrow says on back to back to basics and stuff so those are those are always good things to go back to um especially as the new year gets on and gets on i just worked on Sai. he told a friend of ours and just kind of jazz Sai. Oh. as in terms of i didn't want to do one kata so i know like the two and a half Sai kata that i know i just kind of took pieces of it and just started doing it on a you know eight, eight corners formation and just kind of went from there and stopped it about 20 minutes everyone can see it on youtube now so very cool very cool. So going back, going back to our our, to- our topic of the Olympics, this can kind of be a nice segue into talk- getting into our main topic. Essentially, some of the criticism that's come of the Olympic Olympic uh, karate has been that it's all sport. It's very focused on the tournament style of karate, and a lot for a lot of people that isn't karate, and a lot of people think. They don't think that's uh, the right karate. It's not "quote unquote" traditional. So today we're going to get into exactly that tradition. I guess we can maybe sing this song from Fiddler on the Roof. No, 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 no. Copyright strike. No, no. I, I, I kind of go with Al Bundy's philosophy of singing. You can't sing well, sing loud. So nobody wants to hear that. So. So there's a, there's a disparity between traditional traditional karate and, and sport karate and though i think a lot of people would want us to get into that tonight instead we are going to get into what traditions are and what traditions we encounter a lot in karate and we might spread this topic over one or two weeks we're not entirely sure but we're going to get into it today and just starting with you know what the heck is a tradition so i mean i mean basically a tradition is Something that's been made up somewhere along the line, bottom line, whether it's whether it's cultural, whether it's in-house, whether it's uh, perception, it, it's something somewhere has been made up, passed on, and someone has basically thought that as they're passing it on, it 
it has some value. I mean, I mean, add on or correct me if I'm going off the wrong way. So I believe that's correct. I mean, I believe that's correct. There, there is no natural tradition, as it were, in any sort of form of martial arts, rather than just don't get hit in the face. Probably the most natural tradition in martial arts itself. With karate, you know, there's obvious cultural roots and heritage that goes along with that, and. For many who practice karate, the, the the interesting part of that has been disseminating the culture that bad martial arts come from, or that country, that nationality, those people that that martial art generally comes from into kind of the broader world, and that has been to me, I think, karate's strength and weakness because karate, unlike is, you know, we, we can always say. You know, any martial art was kind of an amalgam of a bunch of people coming together and figuring something out, figuring out how to defend themselves and, you know, which was the best way to defend themselves. Karate's got this through just being an amalgam of you know, what was in Okinawa, what came down from Japan, what was bright, being brought over from China, and, you know, anywhere mixed in between. So, you know, karate's got an interesting tradition I think probably before it became really solidified of being figuring out who whoever was coming to Okinawa at the time who had some valuable information shared it and people integrated it and understood it as they were as I think anywhere anywhere else basically folks it's not natural so I guess don't think that it is or isn't but that's any tradition I think right I mean in you you can you can basically implement any tradition that you really want. Um, I mean, I mean, there's different studies that have been done that you can actually force certain things to be traditions if you really want to. If, I mean, it, it can become a learned behavior and therefore, oh, this is the way we've done it. This is the way it's always going to be done. Well, maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. And sometimes I think sometimes from those traditions, sometimes I don't think we look at things completely from an open mindedness and, and, and are stuck in that, in that mode. Right. And I, th I think, you know, people say this is, tr this is tradition that goes back X, Y, Z number of years. Think about it in uh, any real terms, you know, how far back does a karate tradition go? I think the are the earliest, you know, I, I had a very the good fortune of going to the kind of brand spanking new karate kaikon uh, last summer. Um, they you know, it's the first official karate museum. It's you know, very small. It's but um, they they have a a chart that goes back and trying to figure out who was the first person in Ryukyu who kind of says this was called tea or tay. It goes back to maybe 1600 that that first person kind of emerged that they can find any sort of record of. But that's what they have any sort of record of. Not necessarily, you know, wherever he got his thing or who he taught or who he interacted with. Anyone who talks about tradition, they always talk about, you know, time and time of memoriam. However long that time of memoriam really stands, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100, 200, 400, 1,000 years. Exactly. I mean, it and sometimes it's, you know, whatever day of class, you've got a new tradition. So, I mean, sometimes it can be made up that that quick. So Yeah, and I, I think that the kind of, the, I guess, I don't want to say my, 
macro versus micro, but the micro tradition of, you know, just what you do in your own class, yeah. what, what you put out there, what you students are made to do. You know, they've done it long enough. They've done it more than two weeks. To them, that in some way, in some fashion, imparts a tradition. But I guess we can also, I guess in that vein of talking about students and teachers, you know, get into what is what traditions do we generally see when we talk about traditional karate? And why are they the way they are? And how important how important do we maybe value them? So I guess one we can, one we can get into is you know, talking about entering the dojo. What do you think about that? So in in terms of maybe just entering the dojo, walking into a school, traditions involved in that. Well, you know, I, I go back to whenever I first started, you know, the very first time I walked into a dojo. It, it was very intimidating, but, you know, some sometimes there's some type of mystique or some, just some, I don't know, I guess a cloud of not knowing anything walking into somewhere where you're very uncomfortable. And I think that kind of starts everything off. So we could almost always... I guess start of any journey, there's always the cloud of un- of unknowing. It's interesting. I've been to many different dojos, many different styles, just to just to see what people are doing, how they how they do things and stuff. It, it's been everything from a very pleasant greeting to literally a confrontational meeting where as soon as you walk in the door, you better be ready to protect yourself because they're going to attack. That's kind of odd, but I mean, okay, I mean, I can appreciate that and see what you're going to work with. But at the same time, I mean, if I mean, I guess that can be a tradition, how, how you even greet new people. And there's um what is it there's a there tends to be the sit in the back of class and watch tradition of you 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 know you don't want new people to jump right in there's right. a lot there's a lot of places that do that there's a lot of people who have it i, I think for safety reasons I think in the modern day but i think also in the kind of not you know there's a weird incl- inclination inclination from people who you know already done martial arts even even for a month or so you know, if somebody new steps in, you don't want them stepping on the mat. Yeah, I mean, unless it's in a real controlled environment. In other words, like a one-on-one kind of deal. Or you got a really small class. Yeah. Yeah, even then, I think one-on-ones, you, I've always thought it was better, but, you know, somebody else probably got a different opinion. That's cool. I mean, I've got a buddy of mine, he he uh he teaches a very traditional very old style of not ei um it's actually katori uh sword drawing he makes them sit usually at least five to ten classes before they even begin it's like is this really what you want to do because i'm not going to waste my time it depends on what school it is does it feel like in the kind of the quality or the the older the older weapon styles, they definitely do that. I know I sat in a uh, Kenjutsu class, just sat there for four hours, just watching people do it before yeah. I was even allowed to kind of walk on the mat. There, there's merits to that because that, that that is exactly what you want from people. You want people to kind of demonstrate patience or some sort some form of 
humbleness or deference to what you're doing before you just let them on and, you know, yapple dabble. Absolutely. But at the same time, if you want people to train, then maybe you need to meet them in, in some half way. And so whether or not there's there, you're losing something in doing that, I think that there's a, there's a lot to be said for people who still hold to that tradition of you come to the school, you see what we do. You either accept it or you don't. Yeah. I, and I think I think that tends to go more on style systems, different arts that are I, I don't know if a little more dangerous, a little more risk, or more more mentally challenging. Because I, I I've experienced that with one one of the meditation arts. The I I, I went and took qigong for a little bit. You know, just just to change, just as a change of pace, not to not to learn some something like no touch knockouts or anything like that. I just wanted something to change up. Qigong, Qigong, I, I don't think there's any real Qigong person who believes in that, but yeah, well, I, I know I haven't found any, but anyway, so I'm I'm not saying there's anybody out there. I'm just whatever. But I I know when I went in. The guy was like, look, I don't know you, and I want you to watch at least two classes to make sure this is what you want, because most people don't just walk in here wanting just this. And so I was like, all right, that's cool. Yeah, it, it was it, it was really really insightful in a lot of a lot of aspects of, of my overall training. I mean, so I I was thankful for it, and I'm, I still practice it some today so you know he he wanted to make sure that that's what i wanted and make sure i wasn't wasting my time or my money and didn't waste his time you know so i i can appreciate that you know you're talking about you're talking about something only an adult would be able to do not yeah. like what a kid could be able to do yeah. it's almost with kids it's almost like you want to put them out there almost immediately yeah and have to start doing stuff and for completely different reasons yeah, right sometimes the same reasons but yeah definitely yeah because i mean kids have got the energy and sometimes the attention span of a gnat too so i mean just just speaking from experience i mean i i I love my i love my kiddos but just sometimes i want to do this i want to do that you know it's like it changes every 30 seconds so it's like okay well i mean that is the difference between wanting a young a young child to have experiences and to kind of understand stuff about the world as opposed to having a thoughtful choice, yeah. which kind of ultimately has to happen later on in life. You know, you, you can't, it's you, a lot of, as a lot of people might say, ah, he's too old to be training. Like go home, grandpa. He's like, he's only like 10 years old or something like that. But it, you know, there's a certain point where maturity where you, you can ask somebody to sit there and that will test their maturity and help hopefully help them mature more. And I think hugely beneficial to the to kind of the late adult, late childhood or early adolescence. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and the other thing is, I mean, once you get in into dojo training center, what whatever you want to call it. studio, studio, you know. <laughs> whatever fitness club down the road ymca or whatever you know so it's it, it, there are also other things that go along with it it's like one, one of the things my, my first one of my first instructors said was uh 
when in doubt, bow. I'm like, why? And I was like, well, you're, you're showing respect and you're showing humbleness throughout. When in doubt, bow. If it's wrong, somebody will correct you and usually they'll, they'll take it a lot better than if you just go do something just willy-nilly and, hey, I'll, I'll just think of this and just do it. You know, no, maybe you shouldn't do that. So, you know, I mean, there, there's different things around around the training facility that are that are big no-nos. Like one of the big ones I ran into was there was a certain way my first instructor, Robbie, wanted to have weapons put up in the weapons racks. Right. And that that was the day, that was like first month, month and a half I was there, and I pretty much passed out into the weapons racks and basically came down on top of me. He was less than thrilled about that, and we'll just leave it at that. And I, I was... I, I was just happy to not pass out again and make it out the door, make it to another training session. So, so that's kind of how that went. But, but it, it, it was it was a good learning lesson for me. But you know, different people have different different uh, ways around the training facility. Um, you know, lot, some of them are very strict on on dress code, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit more. But some of them, some places aren't. And one of the things I tried to implement, which obviously since I've closed my school, it didn't go so great, but I thought it was a good idea, but, you know, training, training street clothes. I mean, that's what you're in. That's what you're going to be doing. So, I mean, if you're in a gi hockey or whatever, you're not going to be in that when you're out in the world it's not natural and that's kind of how i always thought of it so so that's i mean that was one of the traditions i kind of came up with my short-lived school but that's okay i mean it's fine well and i think there's a i mean going back to the weapons thing there's a there's a there's a reason for that tradition and that's to you know show deference to something that that could that could be fa- possibly fatally harmful yeah i mean i mean it, 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 it respect that well it it, it was it was even, you know, certain people go here, certain, you know, it, it was like, it, it was almost, it was so regimented, it was like, this person steps up, this person puts the weapon on the rack, they step back, and then they turn, and they go, and not until they're past you, then you go in, you, you know, and it was, it was in a separate room at the time, which, you know, I, I can appreciate that now, I mean, it was just one one of the dumb things I did in life, and so I learned from it. Cool. Okay. Great. Well, and I, the, I mean, there's something more to be said there, though. I mean, especially when we we talk about karate and weapons racks. So karate doesn't have the 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 coolness of like swords. Yeah, I think a lot of people in karate really do kind of envy and wish karate would like pick up the sword and kind of karate is almost the antithesis of that to a degree. Yeah. But when Col- when we when we get into Kobudo, which people conflate as something that is part of karate but isn't conversation for a different day uh but especially when we start to use weapons you know we have to treat though we have to treat those weapons the same way we would treat a sword the same way we would treat treat any other weapon in any other style right and unfortunately those that at that etiquette towards those weapons for a lot of schools doesn't get taught very well and so you end up having a lot of people just running up to weapons racks and grabbing whatever they want, and not being polite about it. And yeah, no, I 
I, I totally agree. Yeah. My my deal was I, I knew I was getting ready to pass out. I was just wanting to get the weapon out of my hand and on the rack and <laughs> right. Didn't work out so well, but that's okay. So <laughs> so I can laugh about it now. So that's a different that, that's something different entirely, but yeah. But that's that's doing the safety dance around the weapons. So yeah. going back to what you were or pressing on to what you were talking about, geese and stuff like that, or uniforms or what we wear in class. You know, why would we have any sort of specific dress code in a in a school or in, in training? Why does why does traditional does traditional training tend to have a dress code as opposed to I don't know MMA or our modern our modern friends tend to yeah. tend to not. I mean. My- my thought is, I mean, it, it is a way to instill some discipline in into the class. It's like you 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 show up this way, you show up, you know, you know certain ways. I mean, I, I remember when I was training with Mister Yada, it was like you know from, I mean, it's been it's been so long. It's like I remember it was from sorry, uh, it was like March to September, I believe, you wore white hakamas, and then from October until back to 1st of March, you wore black hakamas, and, you know, it, it, was, something, it was something like that. I, I mean, Daily savings? I, you know, kind of followed that, but it, it was, it, it was just, it was just kind of what was expected of us, and, and that was, that was cool, I mean, I, I wasn't I wasn't thrilled about shelling out that much money for for Hakamas, but that's okay. You know, I mean, it's it was I mean that that was what was expected, and I'm like, okay, that's cool. And I mean, when we trained in weekly class, it was it, it was full uniform. There was no there was no t-shirts or anything like that. It was you were expected to wear full full Hakama during training. So, um, which I mean that, that that was fine, except for there were a couple of days in the summer that was a little brutal, but that's okay. I lived through it, so it's all good. Well, and I think those I mean, you go back to the history of the gi in a lot of ways, the history of the, the, the gi itself, I'm sure someone's going to say, well, no, it actually comes from blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the real history of the gi would be gym, it, it was 1900s gym clothes, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get that, but I mean, to, to be perfectly honest, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, my, my hakama is probably the most comfortable thing I, I have and ever put on i mean i could sleep in that thing and it's perfectly fine i'm not going to but i mean it, it's just very very comfortable and and yeah it's i mean it's clothing it's, huh? it's clothing it's, it's clothing that's more or less loose enough to and when we i think some people are going to get confused so i guess maybe we need to take and take a shot sure. to explain when we say hakama we don't mean aikido hakama right we don't Kendo Hakama, we don't mean Aido Hakama, we don't mean Kudo Hakama. We mean Nobokama, which are like shorter version or like the not so like parachute pants version, which is, I don't know if that's disrespectful or not, but the not so long or big baggy version of the of Japanese Hakama. We say Hakama, if you, if anybody would look up like Motoburyu or another you know, Okinawa and Koryu, you'll see like a shorter version of those hakama. When we talk about hakama, 
that's me and Jeremy or me and Marty or people who do kind of Mr. Eliotta's version of, of karate. That, that's our, that's our, our gi, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I mean, basically the belt is attached and you wrap that around in a certain way. So similar to, so, I mean, I wouldn't say somewhere, but I mean, in in somewhat of a similar way to your your more formal skirt skirt driven or skirt made uh, hakama. So right, I mean, it's basic. It's basically it's the same. Um, it's just the the rope around it, it tends to be a lot shorter. Yeah. So you, you can't do the fancy thing uh, that those other hakama do, where in the terms of the folding it and stuff like that, and the like twenty steps you have to do to do that. So yeah. We we we, we kind of have the uh, I guess the far I've heard some people call them like farmer version the farmer version of Hakama. So yeah, I mean I I, I can see that. So. And I guess that's that's something you know I guess showing our hand a little. That's our tradition. That's a tradition we can we come from. True. Even though you know there's there tend, we tend to not subvert it, but but you know not thumb our nose at it, but you know don't. Take it with a grain of tend to take our tradition with a grain of salt. We still more or less hold to that tradition. Yeah, pretty much. I'd say pretty much. Yes. And I guess enough of that aside. I guess when we go to talk about geese, I think there there's value in, in maintaining the ghee and, and keeping in that tradition. Um, it does go back. It it reverse. It, it's something I think a lot of people can still come around and be like, oh, we do karate. That's the that's the thing we we all wear for karate. It doesn't necessarily need to be the only thing we wear for karate or the only thing you can use when you train. But when you talk about formal settings or possibly, you know, coming to big meetings or thing, things like that, you know, I think I think there's value in it, but it isn't necessary. Yeah, I, I, I'd second that, definitely. Well, one of the things that I've noticed, just kind of going around lately to some different schools, just for just for fun, just see what they're doing, is like some of them will do like if you attain a certain certain belt color, then you have to move up in different geek color or something like that and right. I, and for a while i was a part of a school that did that as well and you know i mean it, in some ways it, it it did give you i guess while you're you know training and trying to learn new stuff and I mean, it did give you i guess a motivational sense of accomplishment but wasn't necessary no it was interesting i mean well what i mean there's one thing that I, some people like nostalgia breaks or something like that would say when they get Hakama or they find uh, geese from like older students or something like that or older geese and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, there's they kind of have a sense of there's a sense of wow, this person did the same thing I did, you know, X number of years ago. Their training is kind of in the gi. Yeah. As not to as not to um, make too much of that, but I think there is there is a certain sense of awe when it, when it comes down to that. Yeah, I mean, so sometimes I mean. <laughs> It was funny. I've got one of my old old geese. When I first started, I found it in, in a box that we were packing up when we when we were moving and stuff. I, it, it was interesting, like the rips and different things from you know when I was when I picked up a pair of comma and I accidentally sliced a little little tear in the in the in the G top and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember. Why I did that, you know, and I mean, all of a sudden that memory came back, so it was kind of 
it's kind of interesting. So because it's opposed to you know wearing a hoodie and a, and a pair of sweatpants. Yeah, but at the same, you know, there tends to be a kind of a specialness with with having a uniform associated with karate, and I think you know it's the same thing. I think as any sort of like football or any other sort of sport uniform, where you you tend to take pride in that. Absolutely, you know, yes, but I, I think especially the one that you that you use to train all the time in to to get get to a certain point where you wanted to go before you before you bought that new newer gear hockam or whatever it was i mean yeah absolutely so yeah and i think that you know it's someone who because i live in a either on a a tiny island where it's either you know just just okay and nice or it's, it's it's you know bloody hot and air conditioner only is on one floor and air only really goes one way you know i tend to just you know train in pants and that's about it you yeah. know when i'm doing my dailies and there is that sense where it's like wow if i was in a dojo it would be there would be a much different you know there's a much different sense of when you have your gi on and train with other people or when you have your uniform on and train with other people as opposed to just being in a room by yourself and training though i think both are both are necessary I think it's a good thing they've stuck around till today. Um, whether or not, you know, our our criticism of the belt system or whatnot is merited or anything like that, that's not, that's another thing entirely. But so I mean, we can talk about a little bit about etiquette and then get into belts. You know, we we kind of covered a lot a lot when you go into a school, when you go out of school, and I think you you really hit it on the head really well, Jeremy, when saying you know, when in doubt, bow. Yeah, I, and and I think it goes back to when you go when you go in somewhere that you're not familiar with definitely definitely be humble i mean gee many christmas because usually if you're not humble somebody's going to be there to humble you and you're not going to like it too well right and and it usually doesn't come out and and i've been a part of multiple schools that have done that and it it never turns out real nice i've always thought you know hey look kind of act quiet act dumb just kind of okay whatever and just kind of get the lay of the land and see what's going on because different places are different um some some will be very strict when you bow when you bow in bow in off on the floor off the floor don't bow in on the floor just walk in Uh, a lot of different um i guess philosophies between different schools i mean and no one is is more correct than the other i mean a bow is only a sign is merely a sign of respect right and i th- i think a lot of a lot of etiquette is more if you're doing it the same way every single time consistency consistency yes because I, I remember it, it, it was very interesting with my first instructor, Robbie. I mean, it was very, when I first started, it was very, very, very strict on exactly when to bow, when to do this, when to do that, the order of it, all that kind of stuff. Boom. And then after a while, there, there were a couple of things that ended up happening that he wanted to change things up. It, it wasn't quite so. It, it was still very, very formal, but it wasn't. It wasn't quite as formal as it was before. If that makes sense, like. And I think 
that that might be a, just a that's just a change in the person. Yeah, I mean, because like when I first started, we had we always did a says about to bow into class and to bow out of class every time. Right, which is uh, not unheard of for karate right. school, but it's not even with some more. I don't want to say not modern, but there's some more formal Japanese schools like Kudo that isn't nece- isn't necessary in every, with every practice. And that, that changed over time, and, and that was fine. I mean, and it got to a point where, you know, after we'd bow in, we would sit there and recite the Dojo Kun and the Guiding Principles before we even started practice, before we even started doing it. So, right. I mean, it, it was it was ingrained in us that, you know, get, getting your mind straight was a lot more important than any physical accomplishment that you'd ever, ever do. There's a lot of value to that. And what do you think changed that? tradition over time with with your first teacher there there was an incident that happened and i don't want to really get into it so i'll I'll just leave it at that but yeah i mean once that happened i i think i think he took a step back and said okay what's important what's what's not this is what we're going to change and this is what we're going to leave the same reciting the dojo kunin guiding principles beginning of class that always stayed the same. I mean, that was that was a given, and that was cool. But yeah, I mean, just how we did certain things changed a little bit. But it, it, I mean, it was fun. But I mean, different different schools are are, are different. I mean, you, you've been a part of school. I I know you've been a part of schools that if if someone that has a don rank walks in the door, you stop everything and you you bow to them. You know, I mean that—that's a tradition of etiquette. But in, in that, in, a tradition it, of etiquette, yes, it, it is an—it is a tradition of etiquette in that in that setting. I'll just leave it there. I mean, in some ways, that was kind of nice, but in other ways, I, I, I hate to say this, but whenever I was a part of that organization, if you ever noticed, I—I'd always try to be the first one on the floor, so. I always felt guilty when people would stop training and then bow to me. I always felt like, don't do that. Keep training, doggone it. But but I understood, I understood the importance of, of the recognition and the respect of people and all. I, I got that, but I, I just always felt bad whenever I'd walk in and then somebody had to stop training. And then I'm like, no, I, I never felt like, don't bow to me. I'm like... There's 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 some precedent for it. So in especially when I've, I've worked in Japanese public schools and stuff like that, when there's kids doing their sports, sports like baseball, basketball, uh, volleyball, tennis, there if I would have ever to walk by, or if any adult is ever to walk by, those kids generally stop and at least greet you. They don't go the whole nine yards and kind of. What you're, what you you just referred to, which maybe was a little on the extreme, but there's at least some recognition of you know the adult or the the teacher walking by. So I think there's some precedent to that in the cult in the culture of which that etiquette comes from. Yeah, yeah. But, but to the degree which which, which, which you're talking about, yeah, I 100% agree with you. Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, in, in some formal instances, I can see the I can see the merits of it, but for the most part, I, I thought that was a little over the top. I always did, but that's okay. Over the top, good good arm wrestling movie for anybody for for anybody looking for a good movie to watch on a Sunday. Well, well that's that's a classic eighties reference there. Okay, all right, that's showing that's showing my age. All right. Hey, what's the best? Hey, what is the best? Um, all right, let's get off topic. But what's the best okay. canon movie? That movie. That movie is the best canon movie. That's the, one of the best Stallone action movies of all time. I don't know. First Blood, first one was better, but that, that's me. But what, rather than the, than the new one where he's like, "Don't go to Mexico," but um, yeah, no, he should stop. But no, the very first. Movie. I started this cul-de-sac. I'm ending it. Damn it. Sorry. All right. Cool. Okay, we're back. So I, I guess one thing we can close on, we can maybe close on in this, and kind of this will this will probably lead into our 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 next podcast about this topic because this topic is huge and crap cra- even just where we went today we can go a little farther is you know we'll talk about the thing that let, that gets everybody angry when they see the title of this podcast belts yeah briefly touch on touch on this I guess I'll start I mean. Belts. I mean, yeah. If you're you're running a running a school and you're you're trying to measure accomplishments and things like that, or measure skill level and things like that. I mean, that's definitely one way to do it. But right. I, I, it, it it a lot of I, I won't get into it just yet. But go ahead. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the only thing I got to say about it is that this is. Some... This is something that was initially seen as a as a cool idea based on what Jiro Kano, the founder of modern judo, saw from a swimming competition, and then adopted that and put that into the, into a rank, as a rank system. And people wanted to use it as a motivator, and it might work in some instances as that, but in a lot of cases, it tends to work as a more as a kind of a measuring contest for a lot of people and than anything else and for a lot of in a lot of ways you know the belt itself is a part of the gi that's just that you, yeah. you, know, you have a gi you have a belt because you need to hold it you know when you put the gi top on you hold it together using the belt which has its own tradition of if your gi is like flapping around or whatever you have to turn around and you know re-tuck everything in yeah and, yeah, it does help to have a belt with your with your gi. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's how our tradition gets around all this, though, by having a hakama, where yeah. we tuck it and tuck in our gi into the hakama, and that's the end, and that's all she wrote. Like so, yeah. one of the things that I I mean, different schools have different different systems. I mean, it, it seems like the standard colors seem to be you know white, yellow, orange purple, blue, green, brown, and then black. Yeah. I mean, and not necessarily in that order. I mean, different different places swap green with purple or blue with this or yeah, what. Yeah, and what I, I got super confused when I when I switched schools once or twice when it was like a blue, was it, I remember it was like blue and purple got blue. Purple tends to always be the one right before green brown but then green tends to mean you're in the middle and then you know 
orange or yellow or some somebody is somebody out there has tried and I believe failed to tr- to 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 see where the color spectrum is going to degrade into black essentially. Yeah. So yeah, I, I wouldn't want to smell that belt, but that's beside the point. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I, I remember I remember Robbie tried tried this one idea in which basically instead of having all these different colors. We had three belt colors, and we just had stripes on each one of them. And and it, I mean, it was like white, green, and brown, and then and then black. Yeah, I mean, in in some ways it was it, it was a good thing. In other ways, it it kind of irritated people more than it, what he was trying to accomplish. And what was it? was he reversing longstanding like white to black? Multi multicolor belt system. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he he was just trying to get it to where it was like, okay, white was beginner, green was intermediate, brown was advanced, and then and then your don ranks. Yeah, I mean, it it just it was just, and he structured the classes, you know, beginner, intermediate, advanced. I mean, that's I mean, if you had this color belt, you went here. You, had this color belt you went there and and i mean it was i mean in some ways it cut down a lot of arguments and things like that can i go to this class can i not go to this class you know things like that and i think he wanted to nip that in the bud i think it caused some headaches because some people i don't think got the whole the whole difference in just going to three different colors so well especially if you're talking about kids it tends to they're the, the kids tend, tend to. This is this is the whole problem with this is that people try to capitalize, and we're going to get into this. Probably going. This is going to roll over in the next week. But yes. there, there's the belt rank system and all that stuff, and you know the, the issues or whatever with it. But the real issues that come out of this is not the belt system itself necessarily, but the capitalization on it. Yeah, I I would agree, and I mean get, getting into. Not getting completely into that, but you know, when when you have somebody come in from another another school and they come in saying, "Well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a blue belt." Well, what what the heck is that? I mean, what what is that? Uh, what what is your skill level? And it, it got to the point when um, when I was training at uh, training with uh, Mr. Minor. He he wouldn't, you know, if somebody came in from a different style, he wouldn't ask what belt or if they'd come in and introduce themselves. Yeah, I'm I'm a orange belt and so and so. I'm like, okay, how many years have you trained? You know, I mean, that's that's the first thing he'd ask. How many years have you trained? Right. I I, I think in some ways it. Since it isn't standard, it does cause some confusion. But I mean, the the capitalization and stuff. We'll get into that next week. I I think that's a great topic to start really cranking on next week. But but I I I think that's one of the traditions. I think in a lot of schools that it hurts, especially when you go somewhere else. Right, and I think that I think the you. Get people who, when they move schools or, and when we talk move schools, we talk about just 
regular folk, people who aren't really too focused on martial arts, they not really have a like a large finger on the pulse of it. You know, they just they take their kid out of one school and they get, they put them in another, and they don't really see the difference between the between the two. Well, um, or, or you know, maybe their parents. I mean, we ran into this a lot where parents they were living somewhere else and they got a new job somewhere else and they're just trying to get their kids you know back into into school of some sort you know what do you teach with you know they're they're trying to figure it out too so yeah and but well we'll this this is a topic it's our first time where we can say to be continued yeah to be dun 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 so but that'll cap us off for now. So, Jeremy, what are you working on this week? Um, I'm I'm going to go back to work on Psy and Nanchi Shodan and Tamara Saison. Those are the main things. And and kind of after uh, after our uh, discussion before the before the podcast, I'd, I may be working on Aku a little bit as well. So yeah, um, or as I like to call it now, broom. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it works. Uh, which could which could uh, double for Nun Depot as well, but that's a different that's a different story. Um, you'll you'll have to explain that one to me. That's going to be kind of tricky. That would well. I'll just explain it right now. Nun Depot and a and a basically are 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 unevenly weighted weapons. They're almost like spear weapons. Basically, basically, an antibus spear, yeah. and essentially, and essentially, a broom is it has the same composition as that, weight-wise to a degree. So it makes it easy, especially indoors, to work to work on those weapons without necessarily having those weapons in the same way. Of course, without necessarily having the same exact weight that an antibo or a beku might have. Yeah. Absolutely. So I guess this week I'm working on broom again, because I've got some broom katas that I've got to, uh, I wanted to kind of clean off. And the one broom kata that me and Jeremy had worked on, that kind of went in one ear and out the other, unfortunately, with me. And then I worked on it with another teacher, um, Mr. Sinise. And then, you know, we worked on it hard for one hard summer day and then went in one ear and out the other, and then I saw a video of an old master do it, and I was like, oh, now I remember. So I guess I kind of did, kind of clicked on it, so that's just me. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening and liking, subscribing, all that good stuff. We still have the Sherry Joe, and we also have added the Australia uh, Brush Fire uh, fundraiser as well. And we may may or may not do something for charity for that through Streamlabs, but that kind of depends if Streamlabs is going to let me do that. Uh, but that's kind of more stuff in the works. But uh, I'm signing off as John. And Jeremy, have a good evening, day, and afternoon. And don't forget to keep training. <laughs>